It must be because we're extremely good looking. We are devastatingly sharp dressers. Our intellect bestrides the world like a colossus. Or maybe it's because we're very good dancers and excellent at parallel parking. Yeah, all those things, all those might be explanations for why the normies want to steal our terms. See, those of us with interesting minds, those of us who deal with stuff in a mental health capacity, those of us beset by certain mental health obstacles, we employ certain terms and acronyms to categorize the hassles that we face. It helps us understand the mental health issues, to get treatment for them, to help get insurance to pay for those treatments. And it must be because we are so friggin' hot. I think that's it. I think that the hotness, the good lookingness, that's the best explanation. It must be because of that, that they keep taking away those terms. The people without those problems. I mean, it's gotta be. It's gotta be the how sexy we are, right? It's Depression Mode. I'm John Mo. I'm glad you're here. People without obsessive compulsive disorder will say, oh, I am so OCD. When in fact, they're just a little fussy at times. They are orderly. Their lives aren't burdened with having to live with an actual disorder or trying to manage that disorder. The normies will say, I'm just feeling totally bipolar lately. No, normie, you're having an emotional range that is likely well within rational boundaries. Congratulations, how nice for you. You're not bipolar. And when you say you are, it's unfair to people who do deal with bipolar disorder. And hey, I don't want to be a snob. I don't want to turn genuine mental illness into some exclusive nightclub. Well, actually, I I totally want to do that. Can you imagine a nightclub like that? But there are terms that are used more often than they're really understood, like OCD, like bipolar disorder. Another one, ADHD, Attention Deficit Hyperactivity Disorder. It replaces the term ADD, or Attention Deficit Disorder, People who live with ADHD understand it, though. So that's today's episode. We're going to pop the hood on life with ADHD, what it's really like, what it's not like, and then we could all understand it better. So I brought some friends. Dave Holmes is an editor-at-large for Esquire. He is the author of the book Party of One, co-host of the Homophilia podcast, host of the Troubled Waters podcast, and host and creator of Waiting for Impact, which is a podcast available now. Hello, Dave. Hello, John. How are you? Unfortunately, with your credits, we have no more time left in the show. Well, it's been such a pleasure. (laughs) Carolina Hidalgo is a comedian and podcaster. She is co-host of No Dogs in Space, which is a a wonderful music history podcast and a co-host of the Professional Friends podcast. Carolina, hello. Hey, thanks for having me on. Let's kind of set the table here a little bit and talk about when you first maybe realized something was a little bit off. There was something that was creating a little bit of a, a trouble in your mind and in your life. Carolina, let's start with you. Well, I was first diagnosed as a teenager. I was in school. My parents were like, she was doing great until this time. And it was just puberty, of course. And it just made sense. And then I go and then I go through all these tests and everything. They say, this is what you have. And they prescribe me Ritalin. And it's I know it's a lot of what a lot of people's same kind of thing that they've gone through during their teenage years. I never took the Ritalin. I know a lot of people also didn't take it either. And I kind of just went on with my life and just kind of went through it until I was about 30. And then I decided to actually do something about it. (laughs) It took a long time. But there was a reason behind that. I think the information for it wasn't as great, I guess, back then in the late 90s at, at that point. Or it was not available to me, to the actual person, because my parents knew all about this, but they just handed me medicine. So it's, I would say 30 is really the time when I really started, like, really noticing it and really working on it on my own. Like, well, with the support of my family, of course. But that's, I, I feel like that was, like, the real one, I guess you could say. Why didn't you want to take the the Ritalin when it was prescribed originally? You know what? Because they handed it to me, and that was it. 
And it was there was no explaining like this is what happens to your brain. I mean, uh. I grew up in Mexico, so it's. I mean, I know for a while things were a little bit a little bit behind in a lot of ways, but they didn't explain like this is what happens and this is how you can make things work better and this is how your life could maybe help in the sense if it works for you or anything. I was just handed a bottle of Ritalin and I'm like, I don't, I'm a teenager. I don't want to take this. I want to do something else. I want to be class. the teenager that doesn't take the free drugs handed to them, please. <laughs> I was going to rebel in another way. Yes. Yeah. Well, I, I want to find out what, what led up to that diagnosis or that, that refreshed treatment when you're 30. But, but I want to get Dave in here too. Dave, how about you? As I recall, it was a fairly recent kind of realization for you. It Well, yeah, the official diagnosis is fairly new. And, and in fact, I think I had just gotten it when you and I spoke about it on uh, The Hilarious World of, uh, of Depression. And my story is similar to yours, Carolina, in that I didn't do anything about it for a very long time. I, growing up, got every report card, every parent-teacher conference is very much in line with every personal essay about ADHD, where, you know, the the teacher would say he needs to apply himself or he's not living up to his potential or whatever. And I, you know, grew up with a lot of shame about that because it wasn't, this is the 70s and 80s, the message wasn't, he might be neurodivergent in some way. It was like, I'm Catholic. So it was like, he's lazy, you know what I mean? Or he's a daydreamer or whatever. And so the message was never, let's help you, the message was like, apply yourself, which- You have a character flaw. You have a character flaw. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, and apply yourself is the most meaningless piece of advice that anyone can give anyone because, you know, what does it mean? How do you do it? If I could do it, I'd do it. But anyway, so I grew up like that, was lucky enough to have lucked into uh, a job hosting live television, which is the dream job for somebody with ADHD because you are surrounded by by chaos and there are no fewer than 20 things going on that you have to pay a little bit of attention to. And so for those years of my life, I felt very calm and very like very dialed in to my job for the first time ever. Yeah, I was going to say MTV is, is pretty much a, a manifestation if ADHD was a network. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. If if it yeah, if yeah, it may have caused. In fact, it may have caused my own ADHD. I don't know. But anyway. So yeah, then then as my career sort of transitioned into writing more, it still had fifty other things going on, so I didn't really you know, I was still kind of able to to work with ADHD. But while I was writing my book, it was murder for me to sit down and just get it done. Like it was that this was a time in my life when I had one task and it was very difficult to like just get my brain pointed all in one direction. I spoke to my physician. I said, you know, I, I I would like to be tested for ADHD. Adderall prescription in my hand before I was finished talking. And like you, I didn't take it because I thought like, this is too easy. I don't, this doesn't, this doesn't make sense. Huh. A couple of years later, I was, I just was having a hard enough time getting through the tasks of a day that I was like, okay, I'm going to, I'm going to properly, I'm going to, I insist on getting like the full battery of tests, as many tests as I can get. And, uh, and so I went to a, a psychologist. We did a variety of, of different kinds of testing, like 20 hours of testing. The report came back fairly conclusively that I have a scorching case of ADHD. And then I didn't do anything about it for like another year and a half because I was distracted. <laughs> this, I'm sorry for this very long answer. But <laughs> no, no, that's, not, that's the whole point of this episode. It might take okay. us a while to get there. It might take us a minute to get there. Yeah, but you're you're staying on topic impressively, though, Dave. I got to okay, say. Okay, good, good. Thank you. Well, that's that's the Adderall for you. But anyway, in early lockdown, when all of the meetings and and you know and pitches and, and you know errands to the west side and whatever, all the 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 distractions that made up my day were gone in the snap of a finger. And it, and it again was just me in my office looking at my laptop, trying to get things done. Uh, a couple of weeks of that, and I was like, I'm ending every day tired. I'm not, I haven't done anything new. I don't have anything to show for it at the end of the day except exhaustion. This is, this is a problem. I need to properly like address it. So went on medication and, you know, in, in therapy you know, with so, uh, someone who specializes in ADHD to sort of 
you know, work on some some new habit forming and and all that. And you know, I'm I'm working with it. Yeah, you're managing. Well, Carolina, what what about this this build up around thirty? What was going on in your life, and and what led to your decisions there? Well, for me, when I the way I started out was with stand up comedy. So I was doing stand up comedy in New York City. Then I was going all over the place, and I was doing fairly well. Like I, I middled pretty well yeah, at that point, and I was happy where where I was. Like and then middle uh, of the bill of comedians at a yeah, given show. Okay. Yeah, exactly. Where it's like you don't have the pressure of a headliner or nor the draw, maybe, but you're not a new person quite yet. Yeah. So you're yeah. you're in the middle. And so that was going well. But then I, I started shifting more towards podcasting because it kind of helped me out a lot in like figuring out how I want to get my words out, what, I'm, what I, what I want to say, what I'm trying to say. I'm tired of talking about things that don't even pertain to my life anymore, like dating and day jobs. It's like, well, I'm, I'm married now and, you know, I, ha- I have a different kind of job now and everything. So I went more into podcasting. I went more into uh, podcasting about movies and music. And that took a lot of studying, a lot of sitting down in one place and reading a book, which I could not do. I spent 10 years not reading a book. And then all of a sudden I had to read like three a week. And like, and it was, and it was all on, but there was all stuff like I wanted to learn. So I had to make myself, or not, not necessarily make myself, but motivate myself to be like, what can I do to get where I want to be? And that's when I started focusing more on like, okay, so um, my therapist said, I think you need to talk to a psychiatrist about getting medication. And it took about, just like Dave, it took about a year for me to actually be like, I'm convinced I'll go to a psychiatrist. <laughs> it took a long time. And then I went to a psychiatrist and I was still like, okay, but when I go to sleep at night, I am going to wake up the next day. And this is like a thing, right? Like, this is also another thing, having trust in the medication and knowing that nothing awful is going to happen to you. And then I was prescribed Adderall and it worked so well, but as a tool, it worked as a tool. It can't be a solution. It can't be like, this is the thing that gets me to work. It's like, this is a thing that helps me move along. What's the difference between a tool and a solution? The solution is like I take the pill and then there's a montage of me getting it all done and I look <laughs> cute and then there's like yeah. books falling everywhere and I'm typing like, you know, Jessica Fletcher, Murder, She Wrote, and it's all going great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but the tool is more like I'm using this plus therapy plus my motivation plus all the things I promised myself like you eat three meals a day, you drink plenty <laughs> of water, you get plenty of sleep, uh, you don't drink during the week, you know, save that for uh, other occasions, all that stuff if you want to get what where you want to get to. And so and in that way, it's helped a lot. Uh, but I recently changed from Adderall to Ritalin now. Finally, I'm finally like right back where I started. I I went to Ritalin because I needed something that was a little bit less intense for me personally. Uh, And it, yes, so that did help a lot. Yes. And a lot of therapy. And a lot uh, of therapy. Also help. Yes. Dave, has that been your approach too? The idea of of this is a tool, one tool in an arsenal of tools? Yes, it is. It is. uh, It helps. But it doesn't do the work. You do the work. That's the. Mm-hmm. It's not a power tool. It's yep. just a tool. You know, like you st- you still have to put in the effort. But it does. I do find that it is easier to get my ducks in a row. It is easier for me to make a list, like a single list, and not as it was before, a desk full of lists and sublists and whatever. Now there is. Yes. There is a list. Yes. And and I don't I don't feel like the drug is doing it for me but it's it is just it is it is a a slight bit of help the the wild difference is the smallest difference which is and i didn't even notice it until uh, you know a few weeks in but the experience of rinsing the last dish is something that is brand new in my life what does that mean it means i where before i would start a task and then get 85% of the way through it and then remember one of the other tasks that was 85% done and then go and do that and kind of skip around from mostly done thing to mostly done thing and leave a you know a trail of good intentions behind me and a mess now it's like when i go to fold the laundry or rinse the dishes or do the th- or whatever i do not feel that force pulling me away anymore 
And then when I go to do the next thing, I don't feel the force pulling me back to the previous thing because the previous thing is done. And and it wasn't. It's not like a conscious decision of like I'm going to do the last dish. It's just you kind of do it, and then it's done. I personally am not as tense all day long because I don't have you know five plates spinning. Yeah. Yeah. That's been good. It can get overwhelming. It could be oh, it, so many things yeah. to hold at once, and then like when things all start falling down, then it's just like a spiral, and then you're like, I don't know. And <coughs> yes. Next thing you yes. know, you wake up. It's Tuesday. Yes. <laughs> yes. Shit. Yeah. And Monday's been exhausting, but you maybe didn't do anything other than think, you know? Yeah. Yeah. So it's you're describing a world where the basket full of clean clothes doesn't stay on the bed for three days and you sleep around them. Yeah. You uh, you actually get them put away. Yeah. yeah. Wow. Yeah. It's wild. So from Dave and Carolina's perspective, medication works. Needs some fine-tuning sometimes, but it's effective. But, they both said... It's a tool, it's not a solution. Takes more than having a hammer to build a birdhouse, right? You gotta have materials and it sure helps to have a plan. Big part of the plan with mental health, therapy. What therapy did for our guests ADHD in just a moment. Back with Dave Holmes and Carolina Hidalgo, who had varied but ultimately positive experiences with ADHD medication. I asked them about another means of addressing ADHD, therapy. What goes into the the therapy side of that? Because, you know, the the Ritalin, the Adderall, those are, there's a pharmacological component, but what's the focus of the therapy when you're trying to use talk therapy to address ADHD? Well, for me personally, uh, it kind of changes a little bit because I also have other like I I have this brain where I also have times where I have OCD that creeps up at times in my life. And so that's another thing that is studied and still talked about of like, can you have OCD and ADHD at the same time? A lot of people say you can't. Some people say it just takes turns. I'm not sure. I'm not a doctor. So for me personally, I need I need therapy to help me get where I want to get to because it helps me. I, I get to get the words out. I get to figure out what it is I, I, I want. Like these are things that it really helps when you have someone else listening back, a sounding board, and just figuring out like, what is it? What's the, what am I here for? Because you know how like sometimes you go down a rabbit hole, like a Wikipedia rabbit hole where you look up one thing and then you look up another thing and another thing. Like a lot, everyone goes through that at one point <laughs> or just for fun or just because you're bored. That happens to me a lot with what I need or what I want or what, what needs to get done. And with therapy, it helps me focus on this part and then this part and the other part. And then as as Dave was saying before about kind of completing the like the last dish. It's like, what do I need from this? And what do I need from my husband? And what do I need from my life? And all that stuff. So it does help kind of set it in order a little bit better. And to know like, what do I need to do tomorrow morning? I, and then I have a good plan because there's nothing that makes me feel better than having a plan. It's like the most stable feeling in the world, <laughs> you know, right. and like having that list of like, this is what I'm doing tomorrow and this is what I'm doing on Wednesday. And what I'm doing next week, I can't even come up with that plan until <laughs> maybe Friday or Sunday. So, uh, that's how it goes. I guess it's a question for both of you, but do you have to have the list on paper because then it's more tangible or will an electronic list do even though it's just pixels on a screen? I don't know. It depends. I need pen and paper. I need pen and paper. Do you? Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes pen and paper, and it has to be visible for sure. Because otherwise, if you put it away in a drawer, it's not going to work. It's got to be like Mm -hmm. sitting on your desk at least. Here's a a thing that has really helped for me is a, there's a thing called three by five life, three by five life.com. And you get, it's just little index cards and, you know, one quarter of uh, a half of the first side, the top side has a little schedule on it. The, uh, the other one is like the tasks that you need to do. There's room on the back if you need to, you know, do that. But it's like, it's a tiny piece of paper that if you leave, you can fold up and put in your wallet and it's just with you and you can, you can power your way through it. Huh. Wow. That's cool. I like that. Yeah. What hasn't worked in, in your efforts to address something like this? What did you think? Ah, this is going to solve my problems and it just blew up in your face. 
of just punishing yourself and feeling broken and, and ashamed. <laughs> you yeah. know what I mean? Like just being it like, seemed like such a good idea at the time. It seemed, <laughs> yeah. I mean, you know, honestly, like teachers and school administrators seem to recommend it. So it was like, they must <laughs> know what they're talking about. The curriculum. So, yeah. yeah. So what I should probably do is just stare harder at this paragraph that I'm reading over and over again, J- judging yourself and doing your old habits harder. Until fairly recently in our history, that was what you did. Like we didn't have this language of like neurodivergence or, you know, working around your, your, you know, mental or, or chemical issues or whatever. It was just like, feel bad about it and, you know, redouble your efforts that, uh, that you're scattering around. Like, you know, it's. Catholic shame, not good. Yeah. Well, the schools yeah. usually approached it as either you're a bad kid or you're a dumb kid or right. you're a dumb and bad kid. So there was different approaches, I suppose. Or, or you are a smart and lazy kid, which right. like that right. was my thing. Like I always tested really well. And, and then, you know, when it came time for like the actual school part of school, I would sometimes have an interesting question, but never a pen, you know? Yeah. And, and, and like my, I I bumped into an old teacher of mine a few years ago and, uh, and she, and she was like, there he is the absent-minded professor. And I said, excuse me. She's like, oh, that's what we used to call you. You used to, uh, you know, whatever. Like I would just uh, always have forgotten some major thing, but tested very well. And, and I was like, aha, that's funny. And then I walked away thinking like, did, uh, did helping me, uh, ever cross your mind? Teaching, what about teaching me? Would you have ever imagined te- teaching me? Was that on way? the docket at all to help the yeah. student? Yeah. 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 And yeah. Yeah. And oh. I do think that really affects a person's self confidence. I know Absolutely. it has for me a lot. Absolutely. So many times where I felt like even on even on the show, like No Dogs in Space, which takes a lot of studying and I, I do like most of the research on, even then it's just like, I don't know what I'm talking about. I don't know what I'm doing. Forget it. I can't do this. It happens all the time. Like there's a crisis oh, yeah. constantly. Like who yeah, am yeah. I to say that I know anything about this at all? That's in the research part or the production part of the show? It's in an every part, unfortunately. Okay. I struggle with confidence a lot of times, and that's why to you know to work on that, it's medicine and it's therapy, and it's also writing it out and getting my thoughts out well in a good way, so that way when I maybe listen back or I maybe I remember something, I'm not cringing at that and being and then punishing myself like Dave says he does. Like I'm not going to punish myself anymore over it because. Yeah. I, I'm trying to tell a story, but I leave out very important bits because my mind is in 10 other places and it's already like three steps ahead of everyone else and to keep it all in order. So for for people who haven't heard Carolina's show, it's multiple episodes on given bands. So like as we tape this now, I think uh, episode four of The Velvet Underground just came out and there's probably what, one or two episodes left? There's one more Velvet Underground. One more Velvet Underground. I'm only going to give people about 12 hours of Velvet Underground. (laughs) No more. I don't think they should have any more than that. Right, right. So about as long as the Velvet Underground were together is uh, is the length. (laughs) But it's it's very detailed. And it's sort of like the opposite of what Dave was describing at MTV. It seems like the most difficult task for somebody with ADHD. Like, okay, here's... Here's an extended period of just John Cale's boyhood. And so it seems like you've presented yourself with an amazing challenge of concentration because that show is all about this long, steady climb. How do you do you manage that with a lot of post-production and dropping things in or do you just have to really nail it when you're recording? Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's not a lot of post-production. It might be a little bit, but it's mostly pre-production. It's a lot of writing. It's a lot of discussions, a lot of uh, me and my co-host. My co-host is my husband. It's it's reading from every account, making sure I am being as authentic as possible and just in the whole feeling of it and making it accessible for someone who might be a casual listener or who just in, kind of just wants to listen to like two people just talk about music who know nothing about music to the biggest Velvet Underground fan ever. And it, and it has to be for those two people and everyone in between. So it's just about making these people human and not building them up to be huge legends, but just 
just human beings who are like who got to an amazing place because they got to do amazing things because of their work, because of the stuff that they went through. And so for me, that I feel like that uh, there's some sort of responsibility to make sure I do it right. And that's my motivation for that, to get it right. Because like I would want, you know, if someone ever does a Carolina Hidalgo retrospective like I did on John Cale, <laughs> I, would, I would hope that they would do the same for me. So that's where my motivation goes. And as well as not hearing anyone be like, well, she didn't know what she's talking about. Because believe me, that's a huge motivation too is making sure that no one yeah. says, that there's no one out there that says that, or, or they can if they want, but it's a matter of preference in that point. I was going to say, yeah, like like Dave, I'm sure you'll agree with me that music fans are very forgiving about minor errors when it comes to music <laughs> oh, history. Yeah. Just real chill. Especially like Lou Reed fans. <laughs> yeah, yeah, they won't lash out. I'd rather have Lou Reed. <laughs> <laughs> I'd rather have Lou Reed grade my paper, to be honest. <laughs> but, I mean, it's because, yes, I we work very hard, and it does take a lot of concentration, and it does take a lot of planning to make sure you do the show you want to because there's many other shows I've done where I just come on, and we just have fun with it. And then later we realize, hmm, maybe just talking to hear ourselves talk is not going to work. Okay, let's write some notes. Uh, no, that's not good enough for me because I, I have so many things in my head. So why don't I start doing some research and writing a script? Like it evolves to that point. To the next thing you know, I'm like looking up Cardiff, Wales and like going through Google Earth and seeing boyhood. Yeah. I'm really deep into it. <laughs> yes. So it evolves. Has that helped your ADHD? Is that how ADHD works? And, and Dave, I'd love to hear from you on this as well. Like when you have tasks that do require sustained concentration, you know, is it a muscle that that can build up or does it just not work well no matter what you do? I, I think it can I can kind of build up sort of like a muscle. I, I don't know if a muscle is the right thing because it can work for a period of time. But then there are times when you have to kind of, you might have to start over again. And so it's it's not like I'm going to be super buff forever as long as I keep it going. But right. hopefully I can maintain, I guess. Yeah. Yeah. I guess that's the best way to do it. Yeah. For me, it's like um, it requires swimming out to the boat. You know, sometimes the boat just comes and picks you up and you take off and you have a terrific time. Like inspiration hits and you get the thing done and whatever. And then other times it's just like, yeah, you really do have like, there's stuff that is hard to do that is giving you anxiety and you have to kind of, you have to face the empty page and all that. And like, you have to, you have to do a good amount of swimming, but then eventually you're at the boat and you can climb up on it and you're, and you're off. But it just, it does take yeah, it does take knowing that like, okay, for an hour I'm going to swim. It's This is going to be a nightmare. So so yeah. what are some of the adjustments that you've both had to make? Like, Because I, I imagine like any any chronic mental disorder, depression, anxiety, it's you sort of manage it. You kind of come to a, a working partnership as best you can with this thing that's uh -huh. going on. What adjustments have you had to make to kind of make this a functional relationship? Uh, better self-talk has been a huge part of it. Like slightly more understanding of my own self and, and less judgment when that's possible. One of Dave's podcasts is called Waiting for Impact. It's about his search for a possibly mythical boy band called Sudden Impact, who were announced, announced in quotation marks, in a Boys to Men video in 1991. Okay, so I, with Waiting for Impact, I did something where I like, I, I tricked myself because this story is it, there. It, it touches on a lot of topics, but the, the spine of this show is the story of a boy band that doesn't ex that kind of didn't really exist and uh, who disappeared. And in my head, I was like, you know, on top of all of the difficulty of like sitting down to write the exposition and all that kind of thing. I had this inner voice of like, Dave, you have finally found the thing that nobody cares about. You know? <laughs> and, like, and you're not like, this is what you love to do. But guess what? You've this is it. You've reached your limit. And so so I subtitled the show a Dave Holmes passion project so that when I was writing the scripts, I had to type that out. And when I was saying them, I had to say it out loud. And it was like it was a, a constant reminder of just like this is you are a weirdo who is obsessed with 
things that nobody else cares about, but you do care about them and it's important that you care about them. And if you keep working, you can maybe make other people care about them. And and it's, and, and this is a thing that like, this was an idea that excited you for a reason. So like, keep remembering that. And when you're, you know, when, when you're struggling, just come back to that. Come back to like the passion that started it. Oh, so it's a, a little, it's a little note to yourself there. Self hypnosis. Yeah. A little constant note to yourself. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. I trick myself all the time with little things too. Like I'm a toddler. Like, oh, look over here. You know, like yeah. There, oh, sure. There, there's a lot of things to do. There's not necessarily like tricks, but there are times where you have to pull out something to get to get your day done, to get things done, to also make yourself feel good and satisfied that you that you did you had a productive day in any way yeah. whatsoever. Even if it was not doing anything, at least it wouldn't feel wasted. And and for me, the way I do that is I recognize what I work best with. I'm best in the mornings. I, I know that. I'm Same. a morning person. So Same. that means about 2, 3 o'clock, I can't start a new thing. If I have to start a new thing by 2 or 3, any kind of project or any kind of anything at all, it's just not going to happen. I'd rather just go into the office at 8 a.m. than do that. So then I'm just like, you know what? I'm not. Do- I'm knocking off. I'm not doing anything uh, work-related for the rest of the day. I'm just going to sit down. I'm going to pet my dog and and do a crossword puzzle, and and that's my day. But it's not wasted. It's not that I left early. It's just that I know that I'm just going to just feel like crap if I spend hours trying to force something out that I I can probably get done in like 15 minutes the next morning. And and like refilling and recharging is actually an important part of – of the job of of any job like you you do have to make that time to sit there that's literally part of the job description yeah your brain just it's working so much and you can do whatever you need to i know once in a while like my husband and i or me by myself i'll go out and i'll and i'll grab a beer because i'm like i'm not here to party i'm not here to drink but sometimes you just need to do that or you just go or if you don't feel like drinking at all you go to a park or something or anything uh just any way that works for you, you start learning what starts to work for you and then you try them out. And mm-hmm. holy crap, it does help. I need to reset, especially in social situations too. Like it's all, it feels like with work and social situations, it's always like, it's like a hamster running on a wheel constantly. Sometimes right. I need to take a break and reset, even if it's like an hour. Yeah. <laughs> and that, and yeah. it helps. You, you don't get so exhausted after that. Emotionally, of course. And you you both work really hard. You make a lot of stuff, despite what any of your teachers might have said about <laughs> you in school. But when you're when you're thinking about okay, three o'clock comes, you know, maybe I'll maybe I'll send a few emails, but I'm not going to try to be the a creative genius because that's not happening for me. Are you trying to manage that so that the work is better, or so that you're happier and healthier and, and feeling better as a human? Both. I, yeah, it's definitely to make me happier. And I think the work gets better when it's done, for sure. I, I think uh, always do the best job you can possibly do. Otherwise, well, then why are we doing this? Yeah. So it, it's better that because our episode of Velvet Underground Part 5, it was due Tuesday and today is Wednesday and it's not coming out till next week. And that is an unfortunate thing, but... <laughs> But it's we made it, it a, but it's the way it goes. We, we, we made a deal that we no longer offer ads, so we don't have contracts or deadlines. And that was a decision I had to make. And it's, it's a less, unfortunately, you don't make as much money as you'd like to. But you know what? That was the best thing for me. And that's the best thing for the quality of the show. And you have to do those things. Well, and there probably won't be a lot of breaking Velvet Underground news between now and next week. God, I hope not, because sometimes that happens, <laughs> and, it's, and it sucks. The latest, the latest on the Velvets. <laughs> Everything was wrong. It was just a middle-aged woman in Bulgaria the whole time. <laughs> you fell for it the whole time. That's interesting. You, you kind of have these these systems of of coexisting with the ADHD and of treating it with the the medication and with the therapy is the goal to eradicate it is the goal to to wipe it out or is the goal to to kind of harness it and and live with it as a roommate of yeah. sorts yeah i i it's a part of me and it's also like a little bit my superpower superpower What? Something could be a disorder and an asset? Find out about that 
after the break. Hi, are you someone who thinks that when one door closes, another one opens? Someone who always sees the light at the end of the tunnel. If you answered yes to one or both of these questions, good for you. We are not those people. Nope. I'm Annabelle Gerwich, and I'm a, you know that other door opening? It probably leads to a broom closet kind of person. And I'm Laura House. When I see a light at the end of a tunnel, I assume it's a train headed right toward me. Laura and I have created a brand new podcast for people like us. It's called Tiny Victories. We're sharing personal tiny victories or things we've read or seen that inspire resilience. So if you're looking for a tiny reason to get out of bed each week, subscribe to Tiny Victories. Available on Maximum Fun or wherever you get your podcasts. Let's get tiny! Are you feeling elevated levels of anxiety? Do you quake uncontrollably, even thinking about watching cable news? Do you have disturbing nightmares, only to realize it's two in the afternoon and you're up? If you've experienced one or more of these symptoms, you may have FNO, news overload. Fortunately, there's treatment. Hi, I'm Dave Holmes, host of Troubled Waters. Troubled Waters helps fight FNO. That's because Troubled Waters stimulates your joy zone. On Troubled Waters, two comedians will battle one another for pop culture supremacy. So join me, Dave Holmes, for two, two, two doses of Troubled Waters a month. The cure for your news overload. Available on MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcasts. Back with Dave Holmes and Carolina Hidalgo, Dave says ADHD is not something he looks to cure exactly. In fact, it's kind of a superpower. I can handle something like live television, which is a thing that would and should scare the hell out of most people because it, it is it is so utterly chaotic. And and so like I, I think I was able to to do that well. I had like the right set of skills for that. And so that's good. So I, I I I don't want it to be like completely overcome because it's I still kind of I still kind of need it once in a while. I just need to work with it, and that's you know that's a yeah. thing that I'm able to do. No, I agree with him. And you know what's weird is now ha- since going on medication, I cannot write and listen to music at the same time. Did that used to be your thing? I oh, used wow. to always do that, always. Huh. And now I just can't do it. Um, is it just and, silence? And, but, it's or- usually just silence. Sometimes like lo-fi chill beats. Uh, you know it. what I mean? That you that you are just sort of playing there. I, but like anything with yeah. lyrics. Uh-uh. Yeah, I do instrumentals. I got yeah, playlists okay. to send you. Then I do lots oh, good, of. Please. I do a lot of instrumental music. And, and, and John, you too. I'll send them to you too. They they oh, could help anybody. Uh, lots Great. of playlists on that. Um, depending no on jazz, how you want. No jazz though. Jazz will pull me right out. No it's jazz is no good for that. No, it's, it's, it's all over bebop. Be- no, I can't yeah. do it either. No, you're right. <sighs> yeah. It's got to be, sometimes it, it can help when you do soundtracks because you, sometimes I'm writing a story. So maybe, you know, some Hans Zimmer, maybe. I don't okay, know. I, okay, okay. I'll, I'll send you some playlists for sure. I would <laughs> love that. Yeah, because lyrics are the death of me. I agree with that. I'm trying to write words of my own. I just can't do it. And I, I, used, to, I used to do that very, very easily. But I, I'm, I'm, I think I'm happier not doing it. I, I found a, a solution in there for myself of... I, I can listen to the lyrics, but it will require killing an album forever be- because if and I use it for writing books, like only for super long projects where I'll go in, put on the same album at the beginning of every writing session to the point where it's like white noise. It cancels. I don't hear the words anymore, but sure. I don't even recall ever having turned it on or. <laughs> or yeah, it's and- just in your brain. Yeah. What about the future? Like, where do you hope? this relationship goes? Where do you see you and your partner ADHD in <laughs> 5, 10, 20 years? Oh, man. I just uh, I think the best thing for, for me personally, and I hope it works with other people, is just the, the maintaining and to continue. Like I, I'm always continuing learning about what I can do because what worked for me this year might not have worked you know, might not work next year exactly in the same way. Like, like you said, John, like when you listen to that music now, it kind of killed it for you. And sometimes that happens. Sometimes you need to find ways to adapt. And for me, I'm going to, I'm always going to constant, 
constantly like have to uh, give it a certain amount of attention to find out what it is that works for me. And I think that's what my life is going to be now. It's just, it's us maintaining where, you know, we're buddies. We say hi, <laughs> but we also know like we got to work together. We're not enemies. We're, we're working together on this and, and hopefully leaving it up to a, a higher standard every time as, as we get older. Maybe together. you're you're like a pair of of mismatched partner yes. cops who <laughs> drive each other crazy, but you're damn good cops because of it. And somehow. by God, I respect you. Yeah, yeah. we're gonna do that. Yeah. <laughs> we're gonna hug at the end, and I'll get the girl this time. <laughs> Roll credits, <laughs> Dave. What about you? What's what's your plan for the future? What's your hope for the future? Yeah, I, I think um, disentangling it from shame. I think is some is a, a task that would be very helpful because ADHD is part of it. It manifested itself as my self image was coming together, and the idea of me as like disorganized and lazy and a daydreamer and all that kind of thing, or just like the, those things are part of my identity now. And what I have not been able to internalize as well is the idea that like that same thing, that same like neuro, whether it is actually neurodivergence or truly a, a character flaw, who cares? It got me to a place that I wanted to be in. You know, what I mean? like it was a thing that I used that like that, that gave me a, a ride to the life that I have now, which I'm happy with. So I did not do well in traditional school. Okay, maybe I'm just not the type that d- does well in traditional school, and that's okay. Who gives? Who cares? Who fucking cares? Yeah, it's not a flaw. It's not a problem. It's just a thing. It's not a flaw. It's just a fact. I, I wouldn't be good at you know uh, basketball yeah. training camp either, and I don't care. So like, I it is you know ADHD is a thing that that did actually do me some good in life, and if I can learn to work around it and to recognize it and to forgive myself for having it, then I can actually like not have internal turmoil that makes everything much harder to do. Maybe someone who has ADHD, who who wants to make jokes and make light of it. I, I'm all for that. All, I'm completely for that as a comedian. I'm Maybe that's a way that helps. Maybe that's a way to get people to understand is by using humor. Totally fine. Yeah. If they're if they're making lazy ADHD jokes, I'll just not laugh at it. That's that's right. about it. That's as far as it goes, I guess. Right. And it also like kind of speaks to a misunderstanding of the, of the condition itself. Like everybody everybody's a little bit distractible, especially now when they're you know when you don't have a second to yourself and when you know at any time you can look down at your phone and be doing 20 different things like everybody's a little bit distractible but i think there is a difference between that and and having you know a, a neurological condition of sorts right that that's interfering in your life in some way and and yeah i mean yeah. it's like it's like yeah. an anxiety disorder or a depression disorder like is it is it really messing up your life or is it a mood huge right. difference yeah there, yeah, there is a difference. I also, I'm type one diabetic and people make fucking diabetes jokes all the time. Like, you know, anytime there's a cake or whatever. And then it's like, okay, that's not, that is not how type one diabetes works. And that's not how either type of diabetes works. You don't, nobody got it from eating too many Twinkies. Like just, you know, no, I didn't eat too much sugar as a kid. No, I didn't, whatever. Yes, I can eat this. Like there's there's a, a bajillion misconceptions about that too. Again, not a character flaw that, I, that it's- Not a character flaw. So it's, you know, people just don't know. All right. Well, Dave Holmes, Carolina Hidalgo, thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah, this was fun. I'm glad. I, I learned some things too. There you go. Same that. here. <laughs> We have Carolina's Spotify playlist she talked about. Lots of instrumental chill music to write by or live by. Look for that on our show page. All right, well, let's uh, let's revisit our heads here a little bit and uh, <laughs> give them a chance to, to maybe lay out on some, some deck chairs poolside in <laughs> January. Laura House is here. Hello, Laura. Hello. This meditation is one of these things that everybody says... For the new year, I'm going to be a meditation person. And and I think maybe they think it, they need to sign up for all the classes 
and get the right unitards and pillows and, you know, have everything ready to go. But I bet you don't think that. I never thought about meditation unitards, but now I feel like I'm going to yep. support them. Merch item, next <laughs> night's I, fun drive. Now there's something I can put a little patch of my face on. There you go. Yeah, you don't need all the things. And I, I think sometimes we think of meditation as being way too big in general of like, well, aren't I supposed to feel amazing or not have any <laughs> thoughts or like... I, I genuinely used to think like, well, if I meditated, I'll never be sad again. <laughs> wow. And that's a lot to ask yeah. for. <laughs> we still, yes. it turns out, good news, bad news, we still have a human experience and condition, <laughs> but we do get some relief. I guess that's really the main thing. It's like, it's relief. It's relief in the moment. And then if we meditate as a practice, our mind has an option where it just doesn't have to be upset. It can be upset, but it can also go, oh, you know what? I actually know I can sort of power down. It makes me think of shopping at the mall and how, <laughs> you know, you could run around the mall getting all the things that uh, you get at the mall, but then there are those benches and it's okay to just <laughs> sit down, have a huge pretzel, John, have an meditation. orange Julius. Yeah, it's your bench at the mall. It's your bench at the mall. Right by the fountain. <laughs> Let's go park ourselves there and have a little moment here, Laura. Are you ready? Yes. So we don't need to do much. We just need to be at a place where you can close your eyes safely. This is not a driving activity. And just get comfortable in whatever seat you're in. Sofa chair, whatever. And close your eyes. Then just notice your breath. And when I say notice, it's really just like a light glancing it's you it's right there in the middle of your face so just notice it and you're going to have thoughts and you can have awareness of those thoughts and all your attention might go into those thoughts and when you become aware of that you just notice your breath again just let go You can go ahead and open your eyes slowly. Yeah. Look around the mall. Yeah. <laughs> Make See, sure nobody took your pretzel. Right. See, now I'm ready to go to Yankee Candle Company and, and Sharper <laughs> Image. Now when you go to Sunglass Hut, you'll be just a <laughs> little be, more refreshed yeah, and clear. Yeah. I'll be a little more uh, a little more present for the for the sunglasses themselves. <laughs> Laura House is the co-host of the Tiny Victories podcast. More about Laura can be found at laurahouse.com. Laura, thank you as always. Thank you. Next time on Depression Mode, best-selling author and hugely popular video memoirist, Connor Franta. He talks about trying to take a shortcut to mental health and finding that there isn't one. There was like a whole tipping point at which depression, the anxiety, the self-loathing got so bad that I knew it was all rooted in my sexuality and I that was my only option to try and fix all of it was like, maybe if I start with this step and I allow myself to move forward here, the rest of it will figure itself out along the way. Little did I know, it did, but it took a long time. When you figure out you have a lot of baggage, it takes a long time to unpack those thoughts that took years for you to like come to. <laughs> if people support our show through a small donation, we could keep being here together. If not, we can't. If you donate, you make Depression Mode happen and we thank you. If you haven't donated yet, it's easy. You can find a level that works for you, maximumfun.org slash join. Did you know I wrote a book? 
It's called The Hilarious World of Depression. It's a memoir. It's about me and mental health and life. There are jokes in it. It's available where books are sold. Be sure to hit subscribe on Depression Mode. Give us five stars, write reviews, help us surface the show to people who might want to hear it. I want you to know that the Suicide Prevention Lifeline is available 24-7 for free at 1-800-273-8255. 1-800-273-TALK. The Crisis Text Line, also free, always available. Text the word HOME to 741-741. Use our electric mail address, depressmode at maximumfund.org to get in touch with us. Suggestions, comments, thoughts, recipes, pass them along. If you're on Facebook, look up our mental health discussion group, Preshies. We're on Twitter and Instagram at DepressPod. Our Depression Mode newsletter is available on Substack. Search that up. I'm on Twitter at John Moe. I've had a sore throat and a cough this week, and now I sound a little bit more like Kim Carnes than I'm used to. Hello, Credits listeners. What if dogs could talk and had amazing pie recipes to share, but they only would give you the recipes after 30 minutes of talking about cryptocurrency and NFTs. Man, forget it, dogs. I don't want your pie recipes. Depression Mode is produced by Gabe Mara. Our senior producer is Kevin Ferguson. Rhett Miller wrote and performed our theme song, Building Wings. I'm always falling off of cliffs now Building wings on the way down I am figuring things out Building wings, building wings, building This is Jenny from Cincinnati, and I like to remember what Anne Shirley from Ellen Montgomery's Anne of Green Gables would say. It's nice to think that tomorrow is a new day with no mistakes in it yet. Depression Mode is a production of Maximum Fun and Papa Chick. I'm John Moe. Bye now. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.